When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 110. Uh, Thank you to everyone who has sent through kind messages about season one of Make or Break on Apple TV+, Plus, which premiered last week. Um, You know, the response has been uh, truly overwhelming, and it was a privilege to work alongside the Box to Box team. If you haven't checked out season one yet, please do so. Uh, season two is already filming, and I've actually just had a notes pass on the edit for episode one of season two. Holy smokes, uh, it is something really special. So uh, thanks again for all the feedback, and I hope you keep watching. Stop number five on the 2022 WSL Championship Tour, the Margaret River Pro, the final event of the first half of the 2022 season before the midseason cut is currently underway in Western Australia, and there have been some incredible performances as well as some high drama. In addition to electric opening event performances from Courtney Conlog, John John Florence, Gabriella Bryan, Ezekiel Lau, Bronte McCauley, Griffin Colapinto, Isabella Nichols, Italo Ferreira, Ethan Ewing, and others, we've had a number of surfers confirmed to fall below the mid-season cut, and they'll have to compete on the upcoming WSL Challenger Series if they want a chance to perform on the championship tour again in 2023. As of recording, those surfers from the CT include Iago Dora, Carlos Munoz, Liam O'Brien, Sally Fitzgibbons, Caroline Marks, Luana Silva, Betty Lucicura Johnson, Molly Picklum, and India Robinson. There will be more to come before the Margaret River Pro is finished, with a third of both the men's and women's tours being relegated to the Challenger Series. Speaking of the Challenger Series, we are a week out from the start of the 2022 season with back-to-back Australia events in the Boost Mobile Pro Gold Coast and the GWM Sydney Surf Pro in Magic May. So that's going to be really exciting, and today's guest will actually be there. All right, episode 110. Today's guest is someone who has been knocking on the door of elite championship tour surfing for more than a decade. Hailing from Virginia Beach, Virginia, he's emerged as one of the top performing surfers in the country, a contemporary of the likes of Kolohe Andino and Nat Young, Griffin Colapinto, and others. However, unlike his contemporaries, he has yet to qualify for the CT despite coming agonizingly close in the past. After blitzing the WSL North American Regional QS this season and taking the regional men's title, he is now in Australia about to embark on a campaign on the first full eight-event Challenger Series season in history. We talk about all this and more. Please enjoy the lineups conversation with Virginia Beach's Michael Dumphy. The good old clap, take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once. Let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. It's <laughs> out your boxes. All right. So today we have 
the winner of the WSL North America QS Tour, a qualifier for the 2022 Challenger Series, and the pride of Virginia Beach, Michael Dumphy on the lineup. Thanks for joining us today, man. Wow, that was an intro. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Dave, stoked to be here. It's our honor. Well, we're going to dive into a lot of things, but but first things first, you know, how are you doing today? Where are you today? And, and who are you hanging out with? I am doing great. I just packed up a big board bag and I am in Florida. I'm uh, heading out to California tomorrow and going to Australia on Friday for all the Challenger stuff that's upcoming. So I've kind of had a crazy day actually this morning. I went flying in a little small prop plane that my friend slash flight instructor takes me out in sometimes. So we did that. It was like a nice clean morning, no wind. So we flew around New Smyrna and then I got back, went surfing and I'm just packing up everything and trying to get my life together before I leave for a month. Busy day. Now we said you're the pride of Virginia Beach, but you said you're in New Smyrna. Is that where you're you're basing at the moment for wave consistency sake, I, I assume? Yeah, I'm I'm more down in Florida now than I am in Virginia Beach just because like you said, the the waves are a bit more consistent, the weather's a bit better, the the winters in Virginia Beach can be pretty tough for surfing and the water temp and all that. So more down here, but kind of go back and forth between here and there and California. Makes sense. And did you say you have a flight instructor? You're learning you're getting your pilot's license? Yeah. Since like during COVID, basically when we didn't have any events and not, we were kind of just at home, not really knowing what the next move was, I uh, was starting to learn how to fly. So it's been fun down here in Florida because, you know, it's like super good weather and good for all that. And the whole goal of it all was to be able to fly myself down to like the Bahamas and like in the Caribbean because there's so many little islands with landing strips and just like go full surf adventure guy. So that was that's the goal with it. I haven't officially become licensed yet, but um, yeah, it's been fun to learn. That's insane. Yeah, I feel like a lot of like Southern California surfers were on that program in like the 80s and 90s with um, Natividad. That was kind of the or Baja, yeah. like that was kind of the program. But that makes a ton of sense that you're close enough to those little zones down in the Caribbean where if you see something pop up on the charts, it's like, well, cool. I got I can cop in a plane and get down there. I don't have to go through the whole process. Yeah, I mean, that would be like the ultimate adventure surf feral guy just to go down there and try to like, because there's so, there's so many little islands and there's not a lot ton of surfers and just to be able to fly around and like try to find ways to know people, it would be amazing. Very cool. Now, we talked about the 2022 WSL Challenger Series, which commences on May 7th with the Boost Mobile Pro Gold Coast at Snapper Rocks. So former CT stop, Magic May on the Gold Coast, you mentioned you're heading out there on Friday and you've had a lot of stuff to do on the East Coast. You're going to the West Coast next. How do you prepare for the opening event at such a premium wave? Like, is it board prep? Is it, you know, physical prep, the sports psychology? And and just, I guess on the wave side of things, like if Snapper Rocks is firing, it becomes a very, very unique qualifying event, maybe the most unique qualifying event we've ever had. So I'm curious to, to see if you've had anything different going on in the lead up to this first event. Yeah, I mean, really just like insanely excited to get to the Gold Coast. Like you said, Magic May over there. I've been talking to Mitch Cruz and Stace Galbraith and those guys, and they said the bank's amazing and all that. So um no, nothing has really changed as far as getting ready for the event. Like I have a ton of good surfboards from Mayhem, Lost Surfboards, and they they have like it's so dialed in for all their stops and from the past guys riding boards and winning heats at Snapper. So I feel like on that front, 
pretty dialed in. And then um, as far as like the physical and mental stuff, just kind of the, you know, just trying to stay sharp with that, but not trying to overthink it. And maybe if you will, like over prepare in a way that's going to freak myself out. Cause I think we've all been guilty of that in the past. It, like, you know, you get so psyched and so into these events here and there. And then it's like, you know, you can only do so much in the preparation, I feel like. So just trying to keep it simple and enjoy my time over there. I'm just excited to go over there really and get a ton of waves. Makes a ton of sense. Now, let's talk about the regional qualifying series, because over the last couple of years, we've launched the redesign of the tours and competition framework, where in the past we had kind of two tiers. You know, it was the championship tour and the qualifying series within which there were a bunch of tiers in terms of events. And now we've got three. We've got the championship tour, which is where surfers compete for the world title. We have this new challenger series, which is an eight event series and surfers are going to be ranked off their best five results out of those eight events. And that's sort of the stepping stone to the championship tour. And to get to the challenger series, instead of traveling around the world, you're competing in your respective region. And hopefully that helps on the expense side of things. Hopefully that helps on the amount of opportunity you have side of things. But I'm curious to get your take, having just won the North America Regional QS, about that experience. And the other thing I'll say, too, is that, you know, in speaking to our North America tour manager, Brian Robbins, during a couple of these events, he said, oh, my God, he goes, I've never seen events at this level be taken so seriously. Like the intensity's ramped up. Everyone understands that they have this achievable goal that they're they're battling for, which is to get to that next level on the Challenger Series. So I want to get your take on that, if that's accurate or not, and 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 how your experience was this season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was a crazy competitive little couple month patch of events, and um, I was telling someone the other day, like it used to be like the smaller events, you could kind of rock up and you could maybe not be as sharp and as prepared and kind of get through heats and find your way in the quarters, semis, or something like that. But these days, everybody is is takes it really serious. There's there's coaching, there's like, people are just dialed in and like, you can't really, there's no easy draws, even in the per se, like smaller events, like, you know, the regional, some of the regionals were, and, um, it made for a really competitive, really, uh, exciting because the rankings kept shifting and it was almost like a, felt like to me of years past of like a tour, like the real QS qualifying and getting in that top 10 for the, for the world tour. So it was fun to, um, mm to just kind of get pushed by a lot of the guys. Like there's a crazy good crop of American surfers coming up right now, like with Crosby, Cade and Evans always surfing amazing and like uh, Cole Houseman. And so there's like a really deep, deep uh, talent pool. So um, it was, it was fun to be a part of it. And then we had the event in um, Barbados and like, of course that wave at Super Bowl is, is, you know, I think Kelly even says it's like one of his favorite waves in the world. So the quality was there and like we got good surf for the event. So it was, it was like a really fun thing to be a part of, to be honest. Yeah. Now uh, you mentioned in one of those interviews that you actually had a little bit of trouble getting motivated at the start of the year to have to fight, to get a spot in the rankings for the challenger after barely missing your spot, you know, last year. And actually, you know, it's been a few seasons where you've come very, very close. I, I think your results and, and heat check me if I'm wrong, 17th in Morro Bay, third at the Cabaret Pro, and then back-to-back wins at the Ron John Quicksilver Pro, and then in Barbados. Is that 
just the idea that you, you were a little bit struggling in terms of motivation at the start, is that fair? And if so, what did you do to kind of navigate that? Because you had a, a hell of a run there through the back few events. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I definitely, coming really close in Hawaii last season, basically needed to make a few heats or whatever it was. And like, I was pretty burnt out. Not not like, bur- I think I was burnt out mentally. And I was kind of like coming into the new year, not really just not super excited as I had maybe been in the past to like go and run after these events. Like I didn't go to the one that was in Pismo to start this season. And then the Morro Bay one, I was actually staying at Griffin's house in San Clemente. And I like drove up there the day of the event. And like, I still was not like, I don't know. I, it took me a little bit to, to kind of like, all right, I gotta, I'm going to have to like fight for this spot again because it's not just going to get handed to me. So I, um, yeah, I think it took me a little bit to kind of accept that I wasn't just going to get put into those big events based on whatever in the past. So I had to like, right. uh, maybe swallow my ego a little bit and be like, I got to fight from the ground up to, to get there again. And, uh, yeah, I mean, once I, I lost, like you said early in Morro Bay, that was like, okay, so you can't just like roll up and stay at Griffin's house five hours away and then think you're going to win the contest. Like no matter where you are. So yeah, it took me a little bit to kind of get the gears going and then, yeah, kind of just snowballed from making some heats in Dominican to the rest of them. That makes a ton of sense. And and as we kind of said, you know, you're 31, you're a young man, but you've been battling for a spot on the CT for a long time and coming really, really close. And in a lot of instances, you've outperformed surfers either in free surfs or, you know, video parts or, or at QS um, who end up on the CT. So it all makes sense that it's like, oh my God, like I, I want to be where I've been, which is one step away from the CT. I don't want to go back to this lower tier system because there's maybe some ego involved. But at the same time, as you said, there's this new generation of kids who are hungry, who are coming in fresh. And that's another thing that you have to contest with. But it sounds like you navigated that in pretty quick order after the Morro Bay event, because again, it's like, a third in Dominican and back-to-back wins. That's that's really impressive. It's not easy to even get through a heat at the QS level, let alone perform that well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I just, uh, yeah, like you said, I, uh, I'd i been close to the top of the top and then to like kind of have to take a step back to get where I was. It was a little, it, it was a little bit like, all right, well, you got to swallow your pride here a little bit and, and, and start from the bottom. But it, I think it's good. It kind of like, you know, these, these young kids are, are such good surfers, like Crosby and all these guys I keep naming are, they, they're ready to go all the way to the top. So they motivated me and they're all like super hungry for it. You know, you can see these guys are like doing these crazy warm ups and they're training every day. And they're, and they're like, they're at these events psyche, you know, like they're, they're ready to go. So, uh, it's good. It's good to have them pushing me. And just in terms of the the arc of your career, I'm curious, you mentioned, you know, picking up sort of new interests during the pandemic where like everything shut down, right? Like in 2020 was essentially a non-season for the WSL on most levels. 2021 was like kind of us like a hybrid year where we were instituting these changes, but they weren't in full flight. And this year is kind of the first one. In terms of your own career arc, was that down period, did you consider, you know, maybe not competing moving forward? Did you consider other career avenues because there was just so much uncertainty at that point, I think, in surfing at all levels? Mm. Yeah, it was weird. Like I, as soon as COVID canceled everything, right, right after the Sydney event, 
which was mm. I got in third in that event and that was like the first challenger of that year. Right. And so I was I was in this mindset like it's on this is the year got third the first one oh this covid thing I didn't know like oh maybe it'll be a month and then we're back at it you know like we didn't know what was going on. And so I came home and I was like fired up like started training every day at home and i was just like ah it's it's on and i was like this is it's gonna come back and it's gonna be on and then you know it took it it started to be four or five six months and we didn't really have any events on the schedule and like everyone's trying to navigate what was next and i kind of maybe like like lost a little bit of motivation because i was like burning the candle so hard at the start of it and so i think like the first I mean, basically it was a year and a half until from the Sydney event until the fall of last year when we had those four challengers that really was like something of magnitude to that like really was to qualify you for the tour. So it, I went through a lot of different mindsets and like, I don't know, it was tough to navigate. Like I didn't know, I don't think I ever was like, oh, I'm not going to do it anymore, but I was maybe uninspired at some points and kind of aimlessly surfing and not like having something to strive for, like I've always known in the past. Mm. So it was, it was a new path. And yeah, like you said, I picked up different hobbies, trying to learn how to fly and did some traveling a little bit locally surfing. And it was nice to stay home and reset too. But yeah, it was, it was just like for everybody, it was tricky. Totally. It actually, it reminds me of something that I think like Brett Simpson said years and years ago when he was on tour and just about like how you apply your energy throughout an event. And, and he was saying, you know, the CTs are hard because if you're, you just don't know when you're going to surf, right? In the sense of yeah. like, you're going to go out when the waves are the best in that window. And that might be on day one, it might be on day 10. And you just have to be like primed to go the whole time. And he was saying, you know, at a QS event, there's a set schedule more often than not, um, except for, I guess, for those events that have the window. But he's like, he's like, I know that I'm going to surf at 10 o'clock on Wednesday and I can gear up three days in advance. to So I'm peaking at that moment. And it mm -hmm. almost feels similar to that 2020 season. As you said, like you go to Manly, you get third. We think COVID's going to be one month and then done. So you're just, <laughs> you're, you're chomping at the bit. And it wasn't, and I remember because we were working it out on the inside, on our side about what we we're going to do with the season. And it was like, we never got to a point where we said, okay, we're taking six months off or we're taking a year off and everyone tools down. We'll reassess at this point. It was like every few weeks we we're like, it's going to be another month off or it's going to be another month off. It's going to, and it was just, and as you said, it's like your energy is just like, Oh my God, I'm like, I'm, I'm burning out because I just want to get back to it. And, you know, in hindsight, had I known it was going to be 12 months or 18 months, I would have just like powered down, relaxed and then, and then sparked back up when it was time to go. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was hard. Right. He said, because we just, there wasn't that hard date. Like, okay, it's a year away. So I'm going to chill for six months and then I'm going to, get ready, you know? So I think I over revved when I came home just off that high of that result. And I'm like, I remember asking my neighbor when I got home, like, how long do you think this will, this is going to take? And she's like, Oh, I think probably like a month. And then we'll, it'll be, you know, like no, nobody knew. We just, right. It was, it was so hard to, to, na to navigate all that, but it worked out.
Now, as we said, like you've interacted with elite level surfers, both at a performance level and I think just at a friendship level, if I'm right. So I'd imagine that you're you're still in pretty close communication with a lot of the surfers on the CT. And I imagine you're paying attention to the championship tour. You know, Margaret River, we're recording during the Margaret River window. You know, have you been watching? Have you been talking to the surfers, you know, on the other side of the planet? And what are your thoughts about, you know, at least a third, although I think I read somewhere that like 37 CT surfers have signed up for Snapper Rocks, which actually doesn't surprise me. Um, but yeah. a good chunk of them are going to be coming into the Challenger Series to kind of meet you in the middle uh, along this sort of eight event tour. How, how do you feel about all that? Yeah, I think it'll be exciting. Um, there's a lot of talk. People say, like, should there be allowed to surf it? Should they not? I mean, I believe that they they have they've earned the right to be able to surf any challenger event, any of those events they want. Cause if you want to be there, you basically got to beat them, compete with them and do all that. So it's exciting to see Kelly. I think Kelly was in the draw. I talked to brother this morning. He sounds like he's going to do it. Um, I don't know about Griffin, but yeah, there's a, there's a good chunk of guys that are coming to do it. And I think that's just exciting to me to be able to compete against those guys and, and they push you, right? Like just having them around the event and, that's all where we want to be. So it's, I think it's all, all great that more, more the merrier really just to be able to have those guys around pushing you and, and learning stuff from them along the way. Yeah. I, I've, I've heard that argument too. It's never made sense to me where people are like, well, no, we should have like a non, there should be no CT surfers at the qualifying level and we should be able to like perform against each other and qualify kind of unencumbered. But I've always thought too, where and it's not like a new thing because surfers have double dipped on the QS and the CT for since, you know, since 1992, basically. And I've always yeah. been of the opinion of like, no, look, you, you're going to have to like surf against these surfers at some point. So you may as well have to get through them at whatever level it is to get there. It, it makes sense. And I'd imagine that that perspective, which you seem to share, is something that was developed just basically where you came from. Like you came from Virginia Beach and you probably just were like, look, I, if I want to be the best, I have to surf against the best. Are you constantly having to kind of push and find, you know, new talent to, to sharpen yourself next to? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's basically how you get better. Right. And they say iron sharpens iron. Like mm. whenever I go to California and I'm able to stay at Griffin's house and surf with him and brothers right down the street. And those guys are so, you see how serious they take it and how into it they are. Like, I remember we went to Salt Creek like a month ago or it was before, uh, it was before Griffin went to Portugal when he won the event. We went down to Salt Creek and it was literally waist high and closed out and windy and terrible. There was not one person out, but Griffin was down there with four boards, <laughs> like trying all these boards and we could barely even like get down the line and like fit more than one turn. And, and it's, it's just cool to see those guys approach and how, how serious and how into it they are, you know, and they're, and they're just, they just love surfing just like I do. And it's cool to just get pushed by them. And I think having them around any of the events that we do is just better for us and better for the sport. I like it. We're going to take a quick break to get a word in from our sponsors. And when we come back, we're going to wind the clock all the way back and learn all about Virginia Beach. So we'll be, we'll be <laughs> back in just a moment. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. All right, so we we've mentioned Virginia Beach a couple of times. For our listeners uh, here in America and around the world who have maybe never been there, certainly never heard of it, explain to them what Virginia Beach is like and what is the community like and and what was it like growing up there for you? Okay, well, uh, where do I begin? Um, <laughs> Virginia Beach is like a um, well, summertime it's like a tourist trap. Maybe think of uh, Daytona Beach or like a Surfer's Paradise with just high risers, high rises and a boardwalk and a flat ocean. There's not much waves there. Um, but the, the local community is strong of like, there's a ton of surfers. We have the outer banks an hour and a half away and, uh, we get our fair, fair run of good waves in the fall and the springtime. But, um, yeah, Virginia beach notoriously is known for not having much surf. Yeah. The summer is definitely flat. The winters are freezing. Um, and yeah, so it's, it was tough growing up and being like a frothing kid wanting to surf and watching movies and then trying to go out and surf in the winter at home. It was kind of shocking, but, uh, it's a great place. <laughs> well, and how did you get into surfing? What was the family like mom, dad, what did they do? Brothers, sisters, like how, how did all that happen for you at, at a young age? Yeah, my dad, uh, was a, my dad picked it up late. He, he just, we moved to Virginia beach. Uh, he was an air traffic controller and he, he just started surfing when we moved, when we moved to Virginia beach, when I was like super young, like two years old. And, uh, he started surfing and then I basically started following him to the beach, like boogie boarding and, uh, doing all that. And then that just gradually came to a surfboard. And then, yeah, by like eight, nine years old, I was full throttle surf grom frothing i remember i did my first contest i think i was nine and then the rest is kind of history <laughs> and what was the scene like because there's been other excellent surfers that have come out of virginia beach which on the one hand is surprising be because of the challenges you mentioned just in terms of consistent waves but then on the other hand 
I think there's a parallel to a lot of the world-class surfers that come out of Florida where it's like there is that hunger to surf all the time, even if the waves are shitty. And I think there's maybe like a fire and more appreciation when the waves get better. But what did you have any kind of like, I guess, professional level surfers that you looked up to when you were younger that, that came from Virginia Beach? Yeah, there was uh, Wes Lane, who is like the Virginia Beach absolute legend. He was on tour back in the 80s. And then um, there was Jason Bort. And uh, there's a really strong community of good surfers in Virginia Beach. And like everyone's super supportive. So there was like a real, real big pack at, at First Street Jetty where everybody kind of surfs. And um, yeah, so I was looking up to those guys, Raven Lundy. Mm. And then I, I would surf a bunch with my friends like Philip Gould, who I would compete with a lot, Ricky Pollock. And uh, there was just a just like a really supportive, awesome group of people that that, uh, you know, the way like you said, there's not there's not much ways, but everybody is really hungry. And if if, if it's if it's breaking like knee high or bigger, people are out there. There's a group text. Guys are running down off work and like waist higher bigger it's on it it's everybody's out there surfing so like you said it's just it keeps you hungry and it makes you love surfing when the waves show up and in terms of your own ability relative to your peers that you mentioned as well as that community was surfing something that you can talk about yourself complimentary here no problem but was it something that you you felt like you were good at right away was it something where you're like i'm definitely i love it my peers are better at this or that and I need to work to get there. Or what was it like for you very early on is I guess my question. Yeah. I never re really thought I was like that much better than my peers around there. And especially when I would travel down to Florida or out West, I was like, Whoa, these kids are so good. I have so much, I got to get so much better to, to compete at that level. And, um, what, what was it though? Just at, at that time, if I may just interrupt, like when you would go down to Florida and you would go to the West coast, what were they doing that you were like, wow, I, I can't do that. Uh, they were just like refined, you know, they were, mm -hmm. they were faster and, and more progressive. And I, I remember seeing dusty pain surf when I was, I went to nationals one year, he was like a few years older than me, but I saw him surfing and I was like, because back then we didn't know, we didn't see videos of right. kids our age either. And so I remember seeing him, I first time seeing him surf was Oceanside. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know. I, he is like, like, this is crazy that kids are this good that are close to my age. You know, when you're, when you're young and you see kids close to you, you're like, whoa, this is nuts. Like you get super competitive. So I would go home back to Virginia Beach after going to those things and I would just be frothing to surf and try to get better like in the winter time i would they didn't make um like five four threes in my size when i was that young so they would i would wear a spring suit and then i would wear like a three two over my spring suit just to be able to stay warm enough in the winter to like stay out and surf so i you know you had to get creative to to stay in the water at home and uh yeah i just remember like even going to florida was like a surf trip back then because you come down here in the wintertime and it was still warm and sunny in the water. You know, you were at three, two. So right. it was it was tricky. Yeah. And I mean, that's it is one of those things, right, where and it, I think it's amplified in surfing. I think it's across a lot of sports where you're like, I, I feel like I'm good. And then you run into a contemporary 
Dusty Payne's a perfect example where you're like, holy shit, man, you know, and like, and then you have to leave and he's going back to Maui where he's surfing, you know, windmills and Lahaina Harbor and Honolulu Bay. And you're going back to Virginia Beach where you're like, I don't know (laughs) if I can physically get out there today, but you just have to make it work, you know, in a way. And you're like, that's that drive that I think we were talking about where it's like, well, we're not all born equal. We don't all have the same opportunities, but you got to make the most of what you got. Yeah, I think if you have the drive and if you you like visualize it too when you're young and you believe it and you just like like you're practicing in a weird way. You're you're like practicing even when you're not surfing because you're you're so like thinking about it and visualizing it. So when you get out to those ways, maybe you're you've already kind of practiced in a way, if that makes sense. I don't know. <laughs> no, that makes a ton of sense, you know, and I I it, I don't know if you've had we could talk about it if you had, but like it, like serious injuries when because I've had some and obviously we're at radically different levels in surfing but like I've come back from injuries feeling like I'm surfing better than I did before mostly just because you're thinking about it so much and I've heard similar stories of like even sort of back in the Vietnam War where there were prisoners of war that would go in and they'd be you know imprisoned for x amount of years and all they would do would think about their golf game and then they would come back and they'd be better golfers after because all they were doing was visualizing it. So I think there's something to that where, yes, like 10,000 hours and repetition and training is all important, but the visualization part probably gets underrated quite a lot. Yeah, it definitely does. I think you come at it with a, you kind of like when you have an injury, you come back, you look at it a little bit differently, right? You're, you're maybe noticing certain things that you were so, you were so stuck in it and like maybe stubborn and stuck in your ways that you wouldn't have seen until you, take a step back and you realize that you could have done this differently or that differently. And you just look at stuff in a different way and and it's healthy to get away from it and come back for sure. So, right. As you were coming up, did you, did you have other interests outside of surfing, whether it was in school or music or other sports, or was it from a very young age? You're like, I'm hooked on this. This is what I want to do. Um, I, I mean, I played young sports and then I, I, I was really into hockey actually until I was like 13, 14. I remember I was going to travel to like Iowa or something for like a hockey tournament. And then my mom was like, well, you need to pick one or the other because you can't be going there for that. And then going down for a surf contest in Florida. So that, so I, I picked one and I like surfing more obviously anyways, but I remember juggling that. And then from there on, it was like full tilt, the surf route. Makes sense. If you weren't a professional surfer, do you have any idea what you'd be doing for a job? Uh, maybe a pilot. All right. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think that would be fun. Get the travel. Taking a look back at your career, um, just on the QS, like you've been doing really like a serious amount of QS events, uh, probably since at least my records, like 2011, you were doing eight events. And then from then on, it was, you know, in the teens 14 events 17 events whatever it was how did how how did sponsorship come into your life i'm assuming it was before you started doing you know multiple qs events but what were some of those early sponsorship experiences for you and who were some of your early supporters and and i guess depending on the age like how are you interpreting that were you like oh this is cool i'm getting free stuff or were you like wow i'm there's money coming in and this is like a job now. Yeah. I remember my first sponsor, Brad Harrell, who was the Hurley rep right when they started. 
I was nine years old, 1999. And he came up to my mom at a surf contest. And he's like, we want to sponsor Michael. And she's like, Oh, what does that mean? Like he started like giving me free clothes and whatnot. And then she noticed like other kids in the community started wearing Hurley too. Cause she's just like, Oh, the sponsorship is working. This is weird. I never right. <laughs> that, that was how it works. Yeah. I was with Hurley um, for a long time. And the sponsorship thing was, uh, I mean, I'm super grateful for all of it. Right. Like I never really thought, I never really could imagine being sponsored when I was really young. And then it just kind of like went from one thing to the next. And then always just have tried to make myself like valuable to them, whether that's in contests or like going and doing trips or spending a bunch of time in the water locally. But, um, I don't know. It's, it's been a fun ride now with Quicksilver the last like eight years. And, uh, yeah, it's cool to see people grab onto like what you're, what you're representing and, see that marketing works <laughs> yeah totally and and as you pointed out like there in 1999 when you first started writing for hurley it was still a very like it feels like you've actually grown with the sponsorship model if that makes sense because at that time it was still very regional where it's like okay we want to be taken seriously as a surf brand we need to sponsor the best kid in each of these towns or each of these regions you know because that that's our brand and i think you coming from Virginia Beach, I don't want to say like big fish in a small pond, but that's an important area that doesn't produce a ton of kind of world level surfers that end up on tour, et cetera, et cetera. And so you coming from that area seems like it made sense at the time. But as I said, you've had to develop as a professional surfer to the point where it's like you are internationally known now. And that seems like it's almost the only way to kind of get sponsored these days. It's not so much a, well, I'm known in my hometown. It's like, well, what's your global presence? It seems like that's what sponsors are interested in these days. Yeah, it's tricky, you know, because if, you, if you're a big fish in the small pond and you have a good relationship with the core accounts there and like they do big sales in your region and you really rep your region and you have value there and you're in the community every day and in the water every day. I think that hold still holds some weight to the brands, you know, because they mm. can see like a direct correlation to the sales from that re that those accounts in that region instead of just being a straight international guy where maybe nobody totally grabs onto you. I, I'm not sure. And then there's the whole Instagram thing with the insights and and all that stuff is a whole nother beast nowadays. So mm. it's tricky. I imagine for the sponsors to navigate like what they think is the most valuable and who's worth what, because you got a guy maybe locally who's huge in his region and he gets a bunch of uh, clicks and, and he's got followers or whatever that may be. But there's another guy who's got less followers, but he's a bigger international name and right. maybe a better surfer per se. So I, I don't, I imagine being a marketing manager right now would be tough to like decide what's worth more, you know? It's interesting too, because this is a topic that comes up a lot in these conversations and it's something that happens a lot in America and it happens in Australia, et cetera. But I think something has been lost by not supporting those like local regional surfers and for them, you know, staying close to home, not for the whole year, but just to develop their own unique styles and their own unique connection to those communities. Um, and, and sort of the, the parallel that I bring up a lot is like, especially for young kids coming up now in America, it's almost a guarantee if they show any kind of like kernel of talent, like their families are like moving to San Clemente and buying sprinter vans and like they're surfing lowers every day. And 
and they're homeschooled. And and I get all of that. Like it lowers is a very consistent wave and the talent there is very sharp. And as you said, iron sharpens iron. But I do think you lose a lot of like opportunity to develop into a unique surfer in a way that is still world class by being in the same place. Like homogenization comes into play, right? In a way that I don't think it has to. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of maybe turn into a robot if you're just another ripper out at lowers and you're you're doing the contest and you're you're around all the good servers, which is great and it'll make you better. But there is that original path you can take where you can like be from somewhere that's a little bit off the board and and surf some different looking waves and and be a good force in your community and and still be a good surfer. So it's a tough one to 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 balance. But I know there's the parents now that their kid wins a contest and then they're they're heading out to San Clemente, like you said, and they got their their sprinter van and their e-bikes and they're they're all in. The kid doesn't know how to read or write, but he can do uh backflips or whatever. So uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's it's tough. Uh it, it's I mean there's more money in the sport, so there's you're gonna get more of that. So I'm it's it's tough. I guess so. I and I do think it'll be interesting to see how it bears out because it it may it that that phenomenon of like everyone's sort of congregating in the same space and surfing the same and there may be a ceiling to that like in terms of elite level performance and it might we'll see how it bears out on the CT moving forward but if you take a look at the title contenders on the men's and women's side over the last several years it's not overrun with kids from San Clemente you know what i mean like it's 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 like a mix of of people from different parts of the world that had developed into their own elite level surfers. Going back to you know your time on the QS since you've been doing it for a number of years, did you have any particular waves that you felt like you always performed better at, whether they were beach breaks or point breaks or even in certain countries? And then did you have places that you know seemed to give you trouble every season, or was it just a mixed bag for you over the course of those years? It's a good question. I think I've always seem to do well in australia it kind of feels like home to me like east coast style like beach breaks and it just feels it feels right when i'm there everybody's super friendly and i've always seemed to just kind of gel right with australia and then um i've never really done well in europe i don't know i've been there a bunch of times and it just i i don't know what it is i thought this year was or last year was going to be the year and i yeah, so that one's been tough for me, but that, um, that's got some East Coast energy. It's the same ocean, Atlantic. Yeah, it's ocean. Atlantic like, Ocean, but it's the West Maryland. Coast, so it, uh, it feels a little different. I don't know. Sun's in the wrong spot, the wrong time of day. Yeah, yeah. throws me off. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I don't know. I I feel like I've been able to do. Australia has been my favorite. I, I people ask me like, where's my favorite place to travel and compete, and it's I always come back to Oz. Yeah, it's a good spot. One of the things about being from Virginia Beach, it is home to one of the longest running surf events in history, the East Coast Surfing Championships. And in 2014, you became the first local to win that event in 33 years, I think it was. I think Wes Lane was the one who you mentioned, but they won it back in 1981. I, I, like, did you and your friends burn the town to ashes after you won? What was it like? It must have been a big deal in Virginia Beach. Yeah, the town basically went to ashes, to be honest. Um, <laughs> my friend, Mike Shermer, he owns a bar. It was called The Box. It actually 
just isn't there anymore. RIP. But um, he, I won the event and it was somehow crazy. Like everybody from the town was on the beach. I wasn't even really like, I was so caught up in the heat and stuff. I didn't even know it. I came in and there was like a hundred people all trying to fight to, to lift me up. And uh, <laughs> it was pretty funny. Like my friend Kersey is like, got me and he's like on they put it on the front of the newspaper the next day and he's got like his tongue out and his shirt off and he's like ah like holding me up and he's like, I made it. um but no my friend mike he he turned his bar into an open bar so anybody who came in it was just open bar for the night and actually jason Bohr and brad beach and all these local guys came like they it was like late at night and they came and like showed showed their respects it was pretty cool and then a couple of my friends, I won't name them because you probably know them. They ended up going to jail that night for being <laughs> drunk in public. <laughs> so they like FaceTime you from the courthouse in the morning. Like, uh, we need to get picked up. So yeah, it, it was a crazy, it was like, a, it was really cool. It was one of my favorite memories from surfing for sure. It sounds like you might not be allowed to win that event again. I think, I don't know if the town could withstand it. <laughs> It was just yellow tape around all the bars. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's, it's, everyone's yeah, everyone's on lockdown. Yeah, the Q the QS isn't the only place where you've had success. You know, you you you've you in twenty twenty one, you had a uh, a wild card into the Jeep Surf Ranch Pro, um, and you had a taste of of what it was like to compete against the CT class, and you did pretty well. What was that? What was that experience like? Compared to the QS, and one thing I want to get you to litigate whether this is right or wrong is one phenomenon I've noticed over the course of my 17 years at this company, and I guess as a fan, probably closer to two decades, but it does feel like there's a pretty big disconnect at times between the level of hype around surfers at the QS level and just the reality of the speed and the power and the talent at the CT level. And there's so many examples where it's like, oh, my God, this person is going to change the face of global surfing. The amazing young person, they're on the QS, they've qualified and they get to the CT and they're just getting belted by relatively like lesser known surfers, you know, because the CT is no joke. Is that do you think that that's true? And was that has that been your experience just kind of being fluid inside and outside of these two levels? Yeah, I think. I think there's like two sides to it. Like you, some of those guys at the top in the CT are so good that you see some people come on and they just absolutely towel them, right? The guys and girls, it, it just, that, that top tier is, is pretty insane with um, consistency and just how explosive they are. But then you see some guys and girls, they jump on tour and then the, like a look at a Morgan Siblick or um, who else did well that kind of jumped straight on. I, I can't think of the top of my head, but you see people who maybe struggled on the QS and then they jump onto the CT and they kind of, it fits them better. Almost like Nat, I feel like Nat Young, the CT fits him better than the QS mm. did. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's sometimes they just don't uh, gel with the QS and maybe the four man and the beach breaks and stuff. And then they get onto the CT and they're like, okay, I got some open room here and, just man, I man, heat, and I'm able to kind of show what I got more, and they they're able to take that next level pretty easily. But um, I don't know. It, it's it's definitely insanely packed at the top there on, on tour. It's the level is so high. Yeah, it's tricky, and it's interesting too because 
it's actually this has come up a few times in the last few conversations with um with Jack Robinson, Sally Fitzgibbons, and just how you know the the CT for pretty much two decades would start in you know late February, early March at Snapper Rocks, which isn't to say Snapper's an easy wave, but it's a friendlier, more high performance wave. You're in Australia, you're on tour for the whole year. It builds towards a climax in Hawaii. And that was the rhythm that all these surfers that competed on tour for two decades had, or even surfers coming up understood like that's the rhythm, that's the rhythm. And then this year, now that we're in sort of the redesign full flight, it's like you're starting in peak winter in January at Pipeline and that's like hugely disruptive. And I think we've seen that on both the men's and women's tours this year, just in the sense of there are surfers who are performing really, really well that we maybe didn't anticipate. And then there are surfers who we thought were going to be better that, that, that maybe aren't performing as well. And I do think that that disruption in the schedule has been a contributor to that too. And I, and I think that what we're getting at too, you look at some of the rookie class and on both sides have made huge inroads in terms of the rankings I think just because they're a little more nimble and they 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 weren't set in that two decade standard for as long as maybe some of the CT surfers. Yeah, it's a good point. They they don't have that that schedule in their in their head of like Australia work your way up to Hawaii. They, they were ready to get thrown straight into the fire right after Hollywood, and basically jump into pipe and sunset. Like uh, seemed like Jao Chianco was ready for pipe right away. He's oh, like, man. bring it on, John, John, yeah. let's go. Totally. So yeah, it's it's cool. I think it's I think it's better performance wise with those waves like in peak time like that now. You know, like late January seems to be better than early December and that. So I think the new schedule it works better as far as getting quality waves. Yeah, I agree. So we have a couple more topics and we've got some listener questions for you, but we're going to take one more quick break to get a word in from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Manduka was founded in 1997 with the simple idea that a better yoga mat could make a world of difference. For generations, Manduka has revolutionized the yoga space by providing purposely crafted products that enable a more joyful practice, whatever that looks like for you. The collaboration between Manduka and Jerry Lopez honors Jerry's profound dedication to both surfing and yoga disciplines. The limited edition collection showcases Jerry's signature camouflage print inspired by his surfboards. It fuses his iconic surf style with Manduka's commitment to quality and sustainability, offering everyone a unique expression of their practice. We all know that having the right gear is essential, and a yoga mat is no different. Feel the benefits of yoga with Manduka's soulfully engineered, eco-friendly products designed to inspire your practice wherever you go. The Manduka and Jerry Lopez collection want to inspire you to practice yoga however you choose to. And from now until June 10th, you will get 15% off of all products when you visit manduka.com with the code THELINEUP15. That's manduka.com, code THELINEUP1515. So we were just talking about the schedule on the championship tour, but the schedule on the Challenger Series is something that I'm personally pretty proud of too. So starts off on the Gold Coast, Snapper Rocks, Magic May. Then we go down to Manly, 
Uh, and then we have Belito in South Africa. We have the U.S. Open in Huntington Beach. Uh, after September, after the WSL finals, we go to Aracera in Portugal, um, Hasegor in France, uh, Sakurama in Brazil, and then we finish at Haleiwa in Hawaii in November. Again, the surfers will be ranked off their best five out of uh, eight results, potentially. So you don't have to do all eight events. Is your plan to do all eight this season? Um, no, I'm just going to do the first five, and then I'll be done and win them all. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm basically planning to do all eight. I, I mean, I think it's cool to have a whole year schedule laid out like that. It's been a few years now since we've seen that all in like a full, full map of the year. So, uh, yeah, planning to do all eight. I think that the, these first two sound insanely fun. And then, you know, like the back half's pretty stacked too with Europe. And then kind of the, there's like that last month and a half where it's like bang, 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 bang. So, uh, yeah, the plan is to do them all. It should be a blast. Yeah. Are there any, I mean, I, I guess this is like hard to ask a competitor ahead of the season. Cause I think psychologically you're like, I'm planning to win all eight of them, but are there any that you expect yourself to do very well at out of those eight? I'm looking at this Australia leg, like, cause doing well in the regional stuff, I feel like I'm in a good spot mentally and boards and everything feels, seems pretty right after you know, winning those last couple of events, I, I think I need to kind of run with that high while I still have it and try to um, keep the momentum going. So I, I'm looking at these first two as like a, a big way to start the year strong. Yeah. And, and out and, you know, you're leading sort of the North American qualifiers on the championship, sorry, on the Challenger Series. Are you close with your sort of North American contemporaries or do you guys kind of just on your own program? Yeah, I would say I'm super close with Evan and uh, Cam. We've all traveled a bunch together and, and Cade and Cole. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty close with all the boys. Like, I think Evan and I are going to stay together at Snapper with Mitch Cruz. And um, yeah, so I definitely surf with all those guys a ton. Like, I stay with Griffin and Crosby. And I guess Crosby might not be going, but that whole crew kind of runs deep. So I've spent a lot of time with them. It's interesting, too, because I think that especially at the qualifying level, history has shown that when you have a good little support unit, it it goes a long way, whether it's sort of the, um, you know, the Australians in the in the 90s, the momentum generation at the same time or the Brazilian storm. Like it, I, I think it kind of goes back to one of your points of like the iron sharpens iron and, and it can be a lonely thing to travel the world and compete if you're by yourself. But if you have other people, even if you end up drawing them in a heat that you're friends with and you support one another, it's, it's super helpful in terms of navigating the system. Yeah, for sure. You want to have, have a little squad and have each other's backs. And like, if you're just going out and, and traveling the whole year solo without like, cause we're, you know, there's a lot of downtime and, we want to surf together and all that. So it, it would, it wouldn't, it would make it not fun if you were, you didn't have a little crew and like a fun little sparring partner here and there. Like Evan and I will go over there and we'll probably run some mock heats together and just like try boards. And I'll tell him if one looks good or if one looks shitty and he'll do the same for me and kind of just have a, a friendly little healthy competitive warm up before the event. And it's good to have that everywhere and have a little crew to back you up. Yeah. You mentioned you've got a great batch of boards from Mayhem at the moment. You've been working with him for a few years. I, I think you were working with Channel Islands before that, but it seems like you, you're pretty 
static with if you're working with a shaper you're working with that one shaper and you're working with them for a few years compared to uh you know i'm working with a bunch of different shapers and doing whatever's best is that fair uh, assessment of of how you work with board builders yeah well i was i was with channel islands for over like a long time like eight years or so so i actually recently the end of last year i kind of just i just wanted something different just to try to keep keep it fresh you know when you ride something for so long not that it's bad, but you just want to kind of keep being excited and involving and all of that sort of stuff. So I've uh, started riding uh, Matt Biolis Mayhem Lost Surfboards at the end of last year. And then, um, yeah, he's made me a bunch of boards, like getting re- for the regional stuff. And then he's, I got a bunch more in California done. But um, it's just like so exciting to me riding new a new Shaper's boards and like has these models that I haven't ridden as much and like it's you gotta you gotta stay excited and and have fresh stuff on your feet so that kind of keeps me going makes a ton of sense and in terms of psychology for you and and i was interested because um jack robbo brought this up last week where i said well you were in california did you go down and watch the rip curl wsl finals and he said oh i i ended up going to waco but i was watching online and he he kind of admitted that you know, intentionally, I didn't want to be there. Like, he's like, I was surfing lowers a lot in the lead up to the event, but like, I want to be in the event. I don't want to be there watching. So I'm curious if it's similar with you, like, are you watching CT events or are you thinking like, nope, I I will, I will watch them when I'm there competing. (laughs) Uh, No, I watch them. I I watch them. I, I mainly try to watch heats of like, I love watching Kelly. I love watching Griffin, Clohe, and Nat. Like I, I'll try to make sure I watch those guys' heats. And uh, I'm just a fan of the sport, really. You know, I just love watching good surfing, and and uh, it's so much fun just to see those guys go off. So I, I try to, I don't like push everything to the side every day if they're on, but I try my best to watch to watch it as much as I can. Which event in these back five are you most excited to watch? We've got Garagigan, El Salvador, Sacarema, Jeffrey's Bay, and Chopu. If you if you could only sit down and watch one of them, which would it be? Um, probably G-Land, just because it's new. And I haven't seen too much of that wave in the past little bit. So I think that it's cool to see those them like on a new wave that's so good, you know, to, to see their lines and all that. So I'm excited. I'm excited for that one. And uh, Medina's coming back for that, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, Medina, before we started the Margaret River event, the WSL confirmed that Gabriel would receive uh, one of the men's wild cards for the start of the 2023 CT season. So he'll have a wild card for the first five events next year. And because he's healthy, the back five events on the men's side will be 24 man draws. So they'll be the top 22 ranked surfers after the midseason cut. And then there's two wild cards. Some of those wild cards are spoken for via local trials or sponsorship requirements, but he's been given uh, one uh, in each of those five events in the back half of the year. And because he's got the 23 wild card, his results are going to count towards his 22 ranking. So theoretically he could make the WSL finals um, because he's not going to knock anyone off a tour because if he pushes someone from like 22 to 23, that spot's guaranteed because he's got the wild card in 23. So yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. It was very interesting watching the reaction on the surfers thread um, when we, when we, that came across. So I'm, um, I'm excited to see, to see how he, how he goes when he comes back. 
Yeah, I mean, he's definitely deserved that spot. Like, whatever he wants to be in a bet. I know there was some people saying, like, oh, I can't believe he's he got a wild card and this and that. I mean, he's three-time world champ. He deserves to be in any event he wants to be in. So, rightfully so, he's, he's in those events. And I'm curious to see, mathematically, he could easily be in the final five still, right? I think so. I mean, if you think about it, a win in each of those events is 10,000 points, right? So theoretically, he could clock 50,000 points before the uh, before Trestles. I, I, you know what? I got it up. Let's have a quick look and see what it looked like last year on the top five. And I know it's not a perfect uh, comparison, but uh, on the men's side last year, fifth was 25,000. Okay, so he would basically just need to win two and get a quarters yeah i mean based off of that 2020 2020 we didn't have a season 2019 was much higher 2019 was forty six thousand. so maybe 2021 wasn't a good example because we didn't have as many events so forty six thousand in 2019 2018 since i'm on the chart thirty six thousand. so probably somewhere in the 30s 40s but to your point, it's like I think second place is some like seventy eight hundred points. So yeah, a few finals and a few quarterfinals, you might see him at lower trestles, like <laughs> stalking the draw. That's one person you cannot put it by to like win the next those five events that he's in. No, no, he's G Land, El, El Salvador, Sakurama, J Bay, Tahiti. Um, it'll be interesting. You know, you mentioned that you you're a student of the sport, and I. Knowing you as I know you, 100% agree. Objectively, since we talked about that that distance in terms of performance and ability and talent and just competitive savvy between the QSCS and the CT. When you make the CT in 2023, what do you think your surfing is ready today to to really compete and to perform against championship tour surfers? And if not, what are maybe the few things that you want to work on between then and now? Well, you're putting me on the spot. Um, putting you on the spot. We're ending on a banger for these questions. <laughs> I like it. Um, yeah, I think I could definitely compete uh, with the right with the right. Um, I feel like I'm always a student of the sport, where I'm always trying to improve and just get better every day. Because I always, uh, not to say that I don't think I'm good enough, but I'm always just trying to improve. So I think if I can keep on that path throughout this year, and I got these new boards that are, that I feel like are making a difference for me. And then I can definitely, um, I see myself being able to fight and compete with those guys for sure. So it's just, uh, it's going to take a lot of hard work and, and, you know, I've put a ton of pressure on myself in the past to make it and all this sort of crap. So I think if I can just enjoy and continue to improve and stay healthy and, and all that good stuff, then, um, we'll see where we end up. I love it. So to close out, we've got two more segments. The first one is questions from the Instagram community. For those who follow us at the lineup pod, both on Instagram and Twitter, we appreciate you. And yeah, we got actually a ton of questions for you, but we've, uh, we've whittled it down to uh, three. Uh, so the first question is from at Jack Hoholuk. Apologies, I just butchered your name. But the question is, what does the Q grind mean to you? What does it mean to me? It means it, it brings out a lot. Honestly, it's like a, I've always, this is kind of weird. It might be a weird answer, but I've always said if this surf competition and the Q grind and all that is like a great 
it's a great way to like handle life in a way because you, you face all this adversity and when you travel across the world and you put your heart and soul and you lose and you do that for a lot of years and you're you learn how to be you learn how to lose and to like push through and persevere and in that and i feel like that's a good um way to treat life in a way if that makes sense hmm. and it brings out a lot of emotions and and you uh I don't know if that's too deep of an answer, but I was just thinking about that the other day. And it's like a good way to face adversity and to keep going. I think that's a great answer. I think actually every kid who's either on the QS or is thinking about it should probably hear that because I think it's probably worth it to consider. It's a great answer. Second question is from at Salty Frames, uh, who asks, do you think the Challenger Series will make it easier or harder to qualify for the championship tour? I, I don't want to say it's going to make it easier, but it makes it more, um, you know, you have a clear roadmap on how to get there now instead of like mm. ping ponging. To, oh, there's a 5,000 in Sri Lanka and then there's a 10,000 over there and like this and that. It makes it a clear sort of tunnel vision, if you will, like to be able to see it. And that's the only events to get there. And they're here, here, here and here. So I think it makes it organized. I don't want to say it's easier because the level is insanely high. Yeah, I think that's actually a good way to think about it, where it's like at least the roadmap feels relatively stable and you can understand it and you're not ideally you're having confidence it's going to be there year over year, as opposed to, as you point out, where it's like, well, I don't know what I'm doing next year. I'm going to have to find out if I got to like fly around the world to find get these events. At least you're like, well, I, I know where I get to go now. I think that's a good answer. Uh, last question from the Instagram community that we selected is from at Corey James Walker, who asks... What break is not on tour that you would like to compete at? So I'm going to make you answer both for the Challenger Series and for the Championship Tour for when you eventually get there. Okay. Um, I think an event that's not on the Challenger that would be cool would be the Outer Banks. I think that would be a, a really good event for... I guess they have the they have the Outer Banks Pro, which is like a 1,000, but that's kind of at, in uh, Nags Head, so... I'm talking like way out near the lighthouse, like a big challenger event out there, I think would be in the fall with like hurricanes and stuff would be really cool. Do you think it's reliable enough for that? I love the idea. I'm just, you're the expert. Do you think that we could in the fall just kind of point to a week or two and say, yep, we're, we, we can, we can definitely get contestable waves every year. Yeah. hundred percent. If you pick like first couple of weeks of September, pretty much any week in September, you would hundred percent get contestable ways and then in the hopes of, of epic really good waves. Waves. kind of like sure. the new york remember new york event oh yeah they, they they got lucky they definitely got lucky but i mean that's kind of that window of time when you could really score east coast and you saw how many people were there it was pretty cool yeah i remember it was a that was a funny event because people are like oh there's a hurricane we have to cancel and it's like well the that's the only way you're going to get waves too so you know it's kind of like, it's kind of like what did you think was going to happen yeah that's what we're here <laughs> <laughs> what what about for the CT? If, if for when you make it on twenty twenty three, well, there's still a little bit of time. I can jigger the schedule. Where do you want to compete on tw in twenty twenty three on the championship tour? That's not on there now. This might be a little bit biased because I was just there and I just won the event. But I think Super would be an insane mm -hmm. wave for the CT. I think Kelly would uh, back me up on that. I'm sure he would. I'm sure he. I'm sure he has. And I'm sure he will continue to. I like that answer. It's a good one. Well, thank you to the uh, the Instagram community for those questions. We are now down to our final segment. This is the lightning round. Ten questions for you to answer as quickly as you can. First question: 
If you could only have one board set up for the rest of your life, single fin, twin fin, thruster, quad bonzer, or finless, which would you choose? Thruster. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Burrito or pizza? Pizza, blow it out. Last book you read? Uh, the Alchemist. Mm. Best surf film ever? McFanning, um, Lightning Strikes. Mm. One wave you never have to go back to? New Key, England. Never again, please. <laughs> if you only get to surf one wave for the rest of your life? Uh, one wave for the rest of my life. Lakey Peak. Mm. Best person to share a lineup with? My girlfriend, but she doesn't serve. I just drag her out on the longboard sometimes. That's nice. Worst person to share a lineup with? Um, oh, I got this. There's so many people. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, worst person to share. Uh, Griffin. He plays dumb and catches the best waves and does the circles around <laughs> me. I love that answer. Okay, last one. Finish this sentence. I will next achieve a state of happiness by... Breathing. Man, I think that's a record-setting pace for the lightning round. Congratulations. Michael Dunphy, thank you so much for coming on the lineup. Congratulations on your North America QS win. Safe travels to Australia, and good luck on the Challenger Series. We'll all be watching. And uh, yeah, man, I look forward to catching up in person down the track. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Stoked. So that's it. That's the lineups conversation with Virginia Beach's Michael Dunphy. I hope you enjoyed it. Stop number five on the 2022 WSL Championship Tour, the Margaret River Pro, the final event of the 2022 CT season before the midseason cut, is currently underway and streaming live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. This episode is produced by Henry Beyer with art direction by Jason Penning and copywriting by Dan Willen. Thanks to them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges that it's recorded and produced on the ancestral lands of the Chumash, the Kumeyaay, and the Timucuan Native American people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are, and we'll see you next Tuesday. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. 
because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. 